Welcome to XX Will Travel, a podcast for independent women travelers. I'm Kathy Polkerbeck. And I'm Inez Bellina. And together, we are XX Will Travel. So welcome to part two of our ongoing series, How to Plan a, a Trip from Scratch. Today's topic is a favorite of everyone, budget. Let's talk money. Cha-ching! So many of us have gotten questions, the avid travelers among us, of how do you pay for that trip? Some people ask as an inquiry. Other people ask because they're resentful. (laughs) (laughs) So we decided to address the issue of how we pay to go places. Inez... Clearly, the answer is credit cards, <laughs> but how do you budget for a trip? How do you plan how much you're going to spend, and how do you set aside money to pay for that trip? I don't want this to sound like super new age or zen, but I swear this makes a difference. Like, you have to change your mindset, and I'm going to explain. <laughs> change your mind, man. Change your mind, man. No, but I'm going to explain kind of how I went about this. Um, There was a time in my life when I fell into a travel slump, and it was really making me depressed. Yes, me too. Like, I just hadn't gone anywhere new for a while, and it seemed like all my travel was caught up kind of in routine stuff, you know, like visiting my parents. Just nothing terribly exciting. And so I mentioned this to a friend of mine who had actually been doing a lot of traveling, And she mentioned something to me that was life-changing. And she said, well, you have to make it a priority. And that's the thing. There really is no other way around it. If you want to travel, you kind of have to make it a priority both in your mind and in your budget. Because before, like money is not going to magically come in so that you can go off on this thing. You actually have to make sacrifices to get that money set aside, to put that money aside. And this is coming from two people with desk jobs, yes. with bills to pay, who are not trust fund kids. So just, you know, we know that not everyone has the luxury of having a travel budget set aside. I would like to add that when I had this conversation, I was a grad student. So I think that's all you need to know about kind of my monetary uh, situation at the time. And I think it goes without saying that obviously if you're in dire economic straits, like you're a single mom with kids on welfare, this is this is probably not going to happen for a while. Like I just want to be really upfront about that. <laughs> but even to take it to a less extreme example, if you are someone with a spouse and a family, you have other responsibilities. Like it would be lovely if everyone could take a family vacation every year right. or a super nice, you know, couples vacation. And we're fortunate enough to be able to make travel a priority, and we do realize the luxury of that decision. Yeah, like, I just don't want to sound like we're not being sensitive to, like, what can be, you know, very tough economic situations. But we're talking kind of about your standard person with a 9-to-5 job who makes enough money to be what? To have disposable income. To have some disposable income. So how do you make that disposable income your travel income is basically what we're going to talk about, right? Right. Yes. Okay, so how do I do that? Once I realized I had to make it a priority, it actually became very easy. I am the type of person that plans out a budget every month. So I write out, you know, how much I'm making that month, 
what I need to spend in rent and in bills, what I usually tend to spend on on things that are non-negotiable, obviously, like food and, you know, things like uh, laundry or whatever it is and um, pills, medication, that kind of stuff. Once I have that, I, I see the chunk that I have left over on that month. And that is when you decide to set aside a percentage into a fund that is your travel fund. I think that percentage can vary, you know, depending on your goals or how much you're comfortable with. But I would say like a good maybe 5% to 10%. Well, I didn't go with percentages. Mm -hmm. When I was in my 20s and all my friends were getting married, you quickly realize that what even the most simple weddings can become very expensive. Mm -hmm. So I set aside, I think... $100 $100 every month mm-hmm. into a wedding fund. Well, now all my friends are married off. And, I, <laughs> and as I started attending fewer weddings, that turned into a travel fund, and I had been doing it for so long that I didn't even miss the money anymore. You do kind of have to see it as a little pot, like almost like in a retirement account, you know, or a savings account that it's just like, there's this set amount, you can either do it the way Kathy does it, which is, you know, $100 or 200 or whatever it is, or a percentage. And what I am mindful about is if I have any money left over, I just put it into that fund too. So if by the end of the month, I haven't gone through all my disposable income, that chunk will also be put into savings for travel. So let's go back to the the topic of priority of making mm-hmm. it a priority. So since it is a priority, there are obviously some things that you're going to have to give up, right, in order to meet this goal. What are the kinds of things that you turn down or say no to or skimp on just so you'll have money to make travel a priority? One this might be a big one, but I don't know how to drive, which means I don't own a car, which means I don't spend any money on car, gas, I guess whatever all the costs associated with car. Maintenance. Maintenance. Parking tickets. Um, and now I understand that for some people, this is kind of an obligation, depending on where you live. But I've noticed that my attitude towards cars is a small part of my larger attitude towards things in general. Like, I don't really need the most updated, newest gadget. I tend to use things to the point where like they end up dying and that's when I replace them. I'm also not someone who necessarily shops till they drop or shops at high end places. I'm pretty comfortable with like what they call fast fashion, you know, (laughs) your H&M, your Forever 21. As opposed to your Versace. Yes. I will also say that I am someone who cooks a lot from home. Now, this is both like a preference. I just happen to like cooking and my body shuts down if I eat out too much. I was seeing a statistic the other day how the majority of Americans actually eat out all the time and how much that adds up. So I think even only just if you're like that type of person, just like choosing one or two days where you don't eat out and putting that towards like traveling could be huge. And I know it's cliche how we always hear about give up your Starbucks a day and you'll have more disposable income. But it's cliche because it's true. (laughs) So I keep coffee at work. I keep tea at work. And eventually that like five bucks you spend on coffee every day is going to add up. What are some of the other sacrifices you make besides your your pumpkin spice frappuccino latte, Kathy? (laughs) What do I do? Sometimes... I'll, if 
if a bunch of people are going out to a fancy dinner, I'll turn that down. Like that's mm-hmm. 50, 100 bucks right there because we, we live in Chicago. So it's, you know, yeah. things are more expensive than in other areas of the country. Or I'll suggest alternatives like, oh, instead of going out for dinner, do you want to just meet for coffee? Mm-hmm. So that works. Negating my Starbucks tax. But, you know, <laughs> I live in a modest apartment. I don't have a dishwasher. I don't have laundry in unit. I don't have a lot of amenities. But to me, that's worth it to save money to travel. To other people, it's not. And I, that's valid. You need a yeah. dishwasher. You, need, you have a kid. You need laundry in unit. I understand that. But that's a choice I've made. And I, I re- that crystallized for me when I was forced to buy a bed. And oh. I'm like, that's, that's $400. <laughs> like, that's a play ticket to someplace really nice. And then I had to talk myself down from a ledge when I bought my first non-used couch. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's $700, which is quite reasonable for a couch. But that's like a trip to Europe, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm looking around. We're recording in my apartment right now. Every piece of furniture in my house is a hand-me-down, except for my bed and my couch. Some people are more committed to design and aesthetic, but that's their choice. Then don't complain you have no money left to travel when you've just spent money on the latest... I can't even talk about furniture since I don't have any. <laughs> I was like, the latest bedroom suite. Um, yeah, it's like, what is the vocabulary for, for sofas? <laughs> So yes, a lot of it can just kind of be lifestyle choices, I think, is is basically what, what we're whittling down to. I would also say, though, that um, just thinking back on how I've afforded some of my trips, it's not only about sacrifice, but I also think it's about looking for other sources of income, Is that, if that's kind of the only way you can think about it. So when I was in grad school, I received a stipend, which was laughable. Laughing. I know, you're laughing already. But what did I do? Yeah, mostly tutoring and translating on the side. Sometimes selling old things was also something that I would kind of put away um, as a travel fund. When I was in college, because I spent most of my years in undergrad saving up for my Europe trip, well, one, I I usually had a job. It was very weird for me to not have some sort of part-time job or gig. And, oh, God, the things I've done. I also signed up for every psychology survey and experiment that the university offered because that was like $20 right there and then just to like answer a bunch of questions. And that would all go to the travel fund. (laughs) If you don't feel like selling your body to science, (laughs) whatever, I'm owning it. (laughs) I also highly recommend tagging along with people who have um, stuff like free accommodations, Mm. go visit people you know so you don't have to pay for that. Like the last, my last trip was to Thailand and I went because partially Mm -hmm. because my friend was there for work and I could stay in her hotel and it was cheap once I got there. I like visiting people in interesting places. That's how I've been to Santa Fe and to Juneau, Alaska and all these other places was by imposing myself on the hospitality of others. (laughs) Well, why don't we talk a little bit about that? Because um, it's not just a matter of kind of saving up for this like abstract location. A lot of times you have to hit a certain amount to go to a specific location. Right. So is there any way you, like when you finally decided like, okay, I'm going to go to Thailand or I'm going to go to this place, how do you go about 
figuring out how much money you'll actually need for that place. I book a lot in advance. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people go by the seat of their pants, but I am obsessive about ticket prices, like mm-hmm. monitoring airfare sites. I know for domestic travel, they say you get the best ticket 52 days in advance of your trip. I think for international, it's a little bit longer. So I figure out how much I'm going to pay for airfare. I figure out how much I'm going to pay for a hotel. And then if there's any special restaurants I want to go to, like in Bangkok, we were fortunate enough to go to Nam, which is one of the top 10 restaurants in the world. So I budgeted for that, mm-hmm. put extra money aside for that. And I try to go to cheap places. Like Bangkok is cheap if you're not going to fancy restaurants and staying in fancy places. So that is also helpful. Yeah, I think sometimes it's also the misconception that when you travel, it has to be done luxuriously. It's good to clarify that that is only one form of traveling. I would say that the vast majority of the budget I set aside is usually for plane tickets. Yes. Like that tends to be my biggest expense. And unfortunately, because of my lack of, I don't even know what, procrastination probably, because of my procrastination, I tend to get tickets by the seat of my pants. (laughs) So I already know that I'm losing that battle. But once I'm there, you don't need to stay in like the five-star hotel, go to the five-star like restaurant. I agree. Your ticket is the biggest hurdle. Mm -hmm. That if you are staying in guest houses and B&Bs, your airfare is going to be your biggest expense. And there are lots of things you can do on the ground to make things cheaper once you get there, like eating at grocery stores, eating local food. Staying usually at bed and breakfast, especially the ones owned by locals as opposed to any sort of large chain or to Airbnb or youth hostels, the the, the always reliable youth hostel. Um, I was going to ask you, I have never couch surfed. I, I have done Airbnb. Do you have any experience? Okay, so couch surfing is a free thing where you're hosted by a local, and in exchange, you kind of have to be open to, like we're in Chicago, you kind of have to be open to hosting someone when they visit Chicago. And it's just random people, they're members of couchsurfing.com. Have you ever couch surfed? No, I, okay, so no, I haven't. Although it is an option, and if, I feel like that's a great option for people who like, are adventurous, really want to meet locals, are super friendly, and are, And I think have a high tolerance level for people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't have a high tolerance level for people. (laughs) Nor do I. (laughs) I, What I have done, though, is and this was um, something I did kind of when I was younger and my budget was also a lot less. I have hit up very tenuous connections to, to crash on their couch. So these were still people I knew, but... For example, when I was in Barcelona, I actually contacted the best friend of an ex-boyfriend who lived there to see if I could stay at his place. I had not spoken to said ex-boyfriend in like two or three years, but his best friend was actually like, sure, come right along. And it was kind of awesome because he was going to art school in Barcelona, which meant that for that whole week, I went to like a lot of a lot of weird like artsy boho you know, house parties, and it definitely gave me a different side to the city. My parents have a ton of international friends, so sometimes I have used them to kind of go to their house, and it is a way to save up money. I actually prefer just just spending a little bit of money at a hostel because I'm, 
I just don't particularly like hosting people in my own place. So when I'm being hosted by someone, I also feel like it's a burden already. So this has to do with my comfort level, though. Yeah. I'm not opposed to hosting. I I love hosting. I really do. I'm less comfortable being hosted, especially by someone I don't know, which is totally my introvert nature, I think. <laughs> but yeah, if any, and I think travelers are also more open to re- reciprocating. Like if Inez called me and was like, my brother's best friend sister needs a couch to crash on, I would be totally open to that. Yeah, I would not if you're... (laughs) But to be fair, I make it a point to not do this to other people. It's like, if you're not related to me by blood or like one of my eight BFFs, and I think eight might be stretching it, I will probably think of an excuse. But on the other hand, I try not to be a burden. (laughs) But it does mean that I I try to look for really cheap places to stay in. All right. On a happier topic. Yes. (laughs) I'm a horrible person. (laughs) She is. Um... (laughs) What's your splurge when you travel? It didn't used to be, but now food has become a splurge. Um, For a while, when I traveled, food was actually at the bottom of the things I would spend on. I would just do grocery store or street food all the way. Um, As I've gotten older, though, I've really... I've really started to enjoy the idea of food tourism. Yes. Um, And so if there is a fancy or expensive place I want to go to, that's usually what what I splurge on. And I will say sometimes things that will make me more comfortable. So in certain countries, for example, you can travel from one city to another in the super sketchy Uber local public transportation bus or train. This is where I will probably splurge either on a on a flight or on one of those like first class air conditioned buses that you know feel like clouds. Yeah, and I find as I've gotten older um, <laughs> that if I get to an airport, especially if it's late or if I'm just tired from twenty hours of travel, I'll splurge on a cab where. Yes. When I was younger, I'd be like, no, I can make it. I can, <laughs> I can take this bus in my giant backpack and it'll be a dollar and I'll have 10 more to spend on yeah. useless trinkets or something, <laughs> you know, beers. I will say probably the things that I don't splurge on, though. It's like, one, I don't tend to do a ton of shopping when I travel because, one, it creates weight. And, you know, with baggage restriction, that tends to be a bother. Two, unless you really know where to look, some of these things aren't worth it. Like, they end up just being, like, trinkets that are made in China anyway. And, and yeah, number three, it's just, even though I like shopping when I'm at home, I just would rather be doing something else when I'm abroad. Like, I just want to, like, look around the city and figure out, you know, what what the environment is like and not necessarily be in the store. That's exactly how I felt in Thailand, which is a departure for me. And I'm sure there's plenty of stuff to buy, and I went to several markets. Mm -hmm. But I kind of marked a turning point where I was like, I'm minimalist, pretty minimalist as it is, but I'm like, there's nothing I want to buy here, and I don't need more stuff. Yeah, and I will say maybe the other thing that I don't splurge on, which is kind of contradicting my food comment, but I would say alcohol because I feel like you can get a cheap drink almost anywhere in the world and those bars tend to be way better than like having to go to some like douchey bottle service nightclub for the experience. Right, right. Yeah, I tend <laughs> there's less alcohol or it's like I'm pickier about it. Yeah. Now. Coming up. 
So wrapping up, these are kind of the five things that you can do to budget for your upcoming trip. One, make it a priority. If it's not something you're actively working towards, it's never going to happen. Number two, make a monthly budget Figure out how much you can devote to your travel fund and what you're willing to sacrifice to make that happen. Number three, look for alternative sources of income. If there is a skill you have, like for example with me translation, or if there's something you'd be willing to do like babysitting or dog walking, start promoting that and start doing it. Number four, rely on friends and family. Figure out who lives where and... (laughs) Go be an imposition for a week. Also, (laughs) except for me, do not contact Inez. Do not contact Inez. Also, it's cheaper for two people to travel together than one once you you get the the plane fare obstacle out of the way. So see if your friends want to go where you're traveling. It will either enhance or kill your relationship. Either way, it'll be a learning experience. And you'll have some great stories. Yeah. And number five, decide what's important on your trip and what isn't. If staying in a fancy hotel is important to you, then save up for that. But if, for example, going on tours isn't, then that budget can be a little bit smaller and so on. All right. Stay tuned for number three in the series. Which is going to be how to find airplane tickets. Woo! And until then, go forth and trap.